Some things shouldn't be transparent, like stop signs. But what you pay for should always be clear, like Hiller's true transparency pricing, always clearly itemized and never any hidden fees. Because you have the right to know what you're paying for. For more information, visit happyhiller.com slash true transparency pricing. Happy you'll be of the services free. Call the Happy Face Truck today. Now, 104.5 The Zone's non-stop sports talk continues with a look at Nashville's teams and at news around the nation from the lead writer of 104.5thezone.com. This is The Big Six. The Big Six with Jason Martin. Presented by Renters Warehouse. And here we go. Good Thursday to you. Straight up 6 o'clock by my watch means it's time for the one and only Big Six. We are back. Vandy boys took us off the air the last three days. Congratulations to them. Certainly we will be discussing another national championship for Coach Tim Corbin and the Vanderbilt Commodores here tonight. Also, NBA free agencies, bonkers, U.S. women's national team versus France tomorrow. Maybe a little Spider-Man. There's a lot to get to. My name is Jason Martin. You can follow me on Twitter at jmartzone. And as I say every night, I'm blessed beyond measure. All reasonable and otherwise, I hope you recognize that you are as well. At jmartzone is wide open for DMs. If you want to have a faith-based convo, you can always hit me up there. If not me, find somebody that you do trust and have that talk with them. Couldn't possibly be more important. 8-2, to two. Vanderbilt gets it done, second championship this decade, second in the last six years for Vanderbilt. Tim Corbin, what was the discussion today on the zone? Is he the best coach in the history of Nashville sports? If he's not, you have a very short list. And I think I might argue that he is. But I want to talk about this from a little bit of a different perspective because I can sit here and I can rattle off a bunch of stats, and I might still do that. But you've sat here for the last 12 hours and heard a lot already. So I'm going to try and find a different way to talk about what Vanderbilt did last night and what this means. Just a a, a larger theme, if you will. And so if you listen to this program the last time it was on, on Friday night, I had Brandon Hagney, my great friend, in with me, and we talked about the NBA draft that had happened the night before. Specifically, we spent a lot of time on Grant Williams and how I don't know if it's going to work on the NBA level because I don't see anything necessarily elite that he does except for effort. Folks, you have to be good at something. You have to be able to hang your hat on something. There has to be one skill within you that stands out. And the problem for Grant Williams was, at least the way I look at it, is there's nothing that he does on an elite level. Everybody in the NBA has some kind of a specialty. Not everybody is fast. He's not particularly athletic. He's a pretty good defender. He's not a great shooter from three, so the comparisons to P.J. Tucker might be asking for a little bit more than maybe you otherwise would have felt there. But when I tried to find the thing that he's great at, everyone that called that night said it's his effort. Well, Tim Tebow had great effort, too. He's legendary for it. He's in the minor leagues batting around 200, and he's out of the NFL. But to Vanderbilt, a university that the football team has been mediocre 
to below average for a while since James Franklin left and certainly before he got here. The basketball team, we just saw the exit of Bryce Drew. The question I asked on the wake-up zone last week when I was filling in for Mark Howard was, would Bryce Drew still be employed if Darius Garland didn't go down with that injury? And I think the answer is probably yes, because 10 or 11 games they'd have won that they didn't win. Unfortunate for Bryce Drew, that's how it broke for him. It seemed like that was all he had. I mean, she too was good, but, well, he should have stayed in school. He should have never even thought he was going to get drafted. He totally wasn't ready for that move. The women's basketball team, not very good. So there hasn't been a lot to talk about. What has been the speculation? It's been about improvements and how badly the stadium needs to be redone and does this university care about its athletics? And just a couple of weeks ago, David Williams went into the Tennessee Sports Hall of Fame posthumously. Unfortunately, you have to put posthumously there because he tragically passed away earlier this year. A legend and a giant at West End. David Zeppos, head of the university, is about to take a one-year sabbatical and then come back and just be a professor, stepping down. Maybe he's just had enough. You know, it's not that he couldn't do the job. It's probably that he just didn't want to deal with all the bureaucracy and the nuance and the minutia of that role. And he wants to go back to doing what he loves best. A lot of teachers just love that interaction with the young people. Impressionable young minds. And so Zeppos is probably going to be happier as a result. But back to the original theme here. You have to be good at something. If you're good at something, then there's a positive feeling. And the one positive feeling surrounding Vanderbilt University's athletics, not their academics. Their academics are unimpeachable. They're fantastic. We know this. But their athletics, there has been a good bowler here and there, and there have been some things. But it's been the baseball team. It has been this head coach, Tim Corbin-led Commodores team that in the 20th century made the NCAA tournament field three times. This century, 15 times. And since 2004, they've only missed the postseason once. Tim Corbin's mindset, he's an intense guy. He's a crazy competitive guy, but he's also an incredibly decent guy. When you think of Corbin and Rick Bird, there are some institutions in Nashville that are either coaching or just finished up long tenures that deserve a ton of respect. The few times that I have met Tim Corbin, couldn't possibly have been nicer, couldn't possibly have been more classy, asked me for a movie recommendation or a documentary recommendation, and I gave him the Mr. Rogers doc that should have won Best Documentary Feature this past year at the Academy Awards. But his baseball team is just absolutely stunning. And so when you look at the Grant Williams argument, what does Grant Williams do on an NBA level that's elite? Well, he has effort. Okay, well, you've got to have a skill. Maybe he can stay on the floor, but how many minutes can you possibly play with just effort? You might have a 10-year career with just effort, but you might also play for seven different teams and average eight minutes a game. And maybe that's fine. I think Grant Williams' IQ is elite. And I think that that's going to prove him very well afterwards if and when he wants to join a bench somewhere. I said last Friday, I predict Grant Williams will be the head coach of Tennessee in the next 10 to 15 years. 
if he wants to be. He's going to have that opportunity because he's that smart and that beloved by this program, by the University of Tennessee. But Vanderbilt, who can't hang their hat on football, who can't hang their hat on men's basketball anymore, maybe that's about to change. There is some new hope here with Jerry Stackhouse coming into town. But that's a very unproven commodity. We don't know what that's going to look like yet. And I don't know that even after one season we're going to know enough about this. Stackhouse has no experience on a college level whatsoever. I think there is some hope there. We remember that guy. I've gotten to the point now where coaches are being hired that I watched when I was in high school. That's how I know I'm getting old. Jawan Howard at Michigan, Jerry Stackhouse, Travis Ford. I mean, there have been a number of guys. Penny Hardaway, of course. Like, that's when you realize, when you see guys getting hired that you didn't know were going to be coaches necessarily, but that you remember watching, not when you were three, but when you were 16. And that's what I'm now dealing with. I saw Stackhouse live in 95 in the ACC tournament finals against Tim Duncan, Randolph Childress, and Wake Forest. Went to overtime at the Greensboro Coliseum. Still one of the great sporting events I've ever attended live. An 82-80 to win for Wake. And that was at Jerry Stackhouse. And it was Rasheed Wallace and Dante Calabria, and it was awesome. But we don't know what's going to happen there. What we do know, though, year in and year out, is Vanderbilt baseball is going to perform, and they're going to perform at a high level. When they went down one game to nothing, I said, I'm probably going to be off through Wednesday, and Vanderbilt's still going to win. The reason why is the pitching matchup on Monday is the one Michigan could have gotten and did. Game two, I mean, Kamar Rucker has been... Ridiculous. Rocker's stats are absurd over his last five games. And so he's named the MVP as well. He should have. And then in game three, you just felt like finally the bats would wake up. I saw Chad Withrow tweet that out. As soon as he did, I just kind of nodded in approval at Withrow Zone if you want to follow him. Of course, my show followed his. Primetime was in this slot years ago, and now it's the big six here. And couldn't be more blessed for that opportunity. And maybe part of that came from him letting me fill in for him on primetime, which I'm always going to appreciate. But what he said was, I expect the Vanderbilt bats to wake up and go 10-2. to two. And I didn't know if it would get to double figures, but I'm not surprised at all to have walked out of the Spider-Man Far From Home screening last night, which my review, by the way, is up at the Big Six blog at 1045thezone.com slash Big Six blog. You can read it, spoiler free. But I was not surprised to walk out and find out Vanderbilt had won and won fairly handily at 8-2 to because that's what they do. 46 times this year they won two games in a row. All they had to do was make it a 47th to win their second College World Series in six years, and that's what they've done. And runner-up finish on top of that too. Tim Corbin and what he's built at Vanderbilt is nothing short of remarkable, nothing short of extraordinary. I'm not going to sit here and try to go through the box scores and tell you about how great all these guys are and what their skill sets are and all this. I'm not going to sit behind this microphone and tell you I watched a ton of Vanderbilt baseball during the regular season. I'm just I'm not somebody that watches a lot of college baseball. If it's on, I'll watch an inning or two. I used to be the PA announcer at Western Kentucky for their baseball. You know, I have been around it. I enjoy it enough. But Certainly when you get to the College World Series, you do start to pay a little bit closer of attention, especially to Vanderbilt, because you're expecting, this is how good Tim Corbin has made this franchise. You're now expecting them, not just to make it to Omaha, but to win. If they don't, it feels like, eh, a little bit of a down year for Vanderbilt. They got knocked out in the semifinals. 
that level of consistency and expectation only comes when you've performed. I don't have that level of expectation for James Harden and Chris Paul. I've never seen them do it before. I don't have that level of expectation for Giannis Antetokounmpo yet because I haven't seen him do it before. I don't have that level of expectation, I guess you could say, for Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs because we had not seen them do it before. We've seen this team do it and do it at such a high level to have already won one College World Series, to then stand up and be able to win again against a red-hot Michigan team making only its third trip to the College World Series in like 60 years. And the Big Ten as a whole had not had anybody there in a long time. And Michigan was that team that you don't want to see, except that Vanderbilt has been the team that no one wants to see for about five or six years now. And that's all credit to Tim Corbin and his staff, the way they built this team. I mean, if you didn't get drafted off the Vanderbilt team this year, they must have just accidentally left your name off the sheet for all the GMs at the baseball draft. Because we were in double figures early in this thing. If you wore a Vanderbilt uniform, they were going to probably take a chance on you. And it made sense for them to do just that. But Vanderbilt's 8-2 to win, and they come back, and they've got fans waiting for them. They had a watch party last night at the stadium. This was cool. It's good for Nashville. Nashville's had a good sports year. The draft and 600,000 people downtown. The Titans at least had a look at making the playoffs. It was interesting until the final game of the regular season when Marcus couldn't go, and, well, Blaine Gabbert, Blaine Gabberted. Tennessee was the number one team in the country at one point, actually for about four weeks in the college basketball season. I would say they didn't get quite as far as you would have hoped. There was some controversy there with Carson Edwards at the end of regulation against Purdue, but that's not anything you can talk about now. Rick Bird won a game in the NCAA tournament and then retired. It's been a really good year in the state of Tennessee for sports. And then right here, just a couple of miles from where I'm sitting, the Vanderbilt baseball program proved yet again why it's so elite. I was thinking of guys in the SEC that have been really good in Corbin's role. Ray Tanner. I lived in South Carolina when the Gamecocks were absolutely on fire. And Tanner was being talked about in much the same way, but not to the same degree that Tim Corbin is now. Tim Corbin is being compared. Look, Kamara Rocker compared him to Nick Saban. He said, my coach, Tim Corbin, he's Nick Saban. That's what he said just after he was named most outstanding player in the college World Series. Derek Mason, Tim Corbin and the Vandy baseball team is the hottest brand in Nashville. Yep, pretty much. And even the Michigan head coach, who, boy, was he ever classy. Tim Corbin is the best head coach in America, no matter what sport you're talking about. ESPN, Carl Ravitch, and the guys at the end of the telecast last night compared him to Coach K at Duke. There was a Nebraska columnist who compared him to Tom Osborne. Vanderbilt's already the preseason favorite, just like it was four and a half months ago before this season. That is how good it is. So congratulations to, to, to Tim Corbin and Vanderbilt. And I have to think, even though when you move on to the next stage in your life, you're not concerned about all the things that are happening below because you're too happy to enjoy and to just in full delight with your Lord. 
But David Williams had to smile last night. He had to dance last night. He had to be excited. And Vanderbilt fans and Vanderbilt alumni and everybody in Nashville can celebrate this with the Vandy boys. They did it. They won two in a row against the hottest team, probably going at that point, a team that had exceeded expectations but was riding high. And then Vanderbilt just showed up and reminded everyone, no, we are the program in college baseball. And that's incredibly impressive. Congrats to Vandy, your 2019 College World Series champions. We'll be right back. This is the Big Six on 104.5 The Zone. So... Welcome back to the Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone, or the Big Two in Six, if you want to talk about Vanderbilt winning their second College World Series crown in six years. Congratulations to Tim Corbin and the Vandy boys and to all the Vandy Commodore fans who are celebrating today. We're brought to you by Renters Warehouse, dedicated to helping homeowners benefit from the rental boom by renting their homes the easy way. Renters Warehouse, you can't buy happiness, but you can rent it. BetOnline.ag odds for Kevin Durant free agency. Brooklyn Nets, two to three. They were 10 to one before he opted out of the 31 and a half mil deal a couple of days ago, which is not a gigantic surprise to anybody. The Knicks, three to two. They did not move at all. Golden State Warriors, four to one now. They were three to two before he opted out. The Kevin Durant saga is going to be just part of a bonkers free agency period that's going to begin at 6 p.m. on Sunday night, right into prime time. But we're already hearing, look, Kawhi Leonard's going to meet with the Clippers on the 2nd of July, so maybe nothing's actually going to happen of giant note that night, or maybe a lot's going to happen. But Kawhi and Kevin Durant are probably the two that most people are paying attention to. Let me give you one pretty interesting stat about Kevin Durant. In his career, he has tallied 36,903 career minutes. Now to other teammates and some other free agents. Steph Curry's played 28,094. Klay Thompson's played 24,910. Kyrie has played 19,390. Draymond Green has played 19,356. And Kawhi Leonard has played 18,251. So again, Durant, well over eight, well, really about 8,900, almost 9,000 more minutes than Steph Curry. Now, of course, LeBron's got more, but... Durant is way up there. And so Durant is going to be coming back from this ruptured Achilles at some point. Still likely he probably misses the entire season. Don't forget that before his eighth year, they detected a Jones fracture in his right foot. That's a terrible, terrible injury that a lot of people can't come back for. And for him to be as tall as he is, it scared people to death. His rehab process required three different surgeries. And the last one was a very touch-and-go bone graft complicated bone graft at that but it did heal listen to what Le- what uh, Durant said last year physically at 21 22 and 23 I could get out of the bed and windmill or catch a lob but I have to activate my glutes and hamstrings a little bit more now he also said mid-20s 26 27 you feel your body talking to you a little bit after a game after a practice you try to figure out what that means I've just been getting better at that knowing my body over the years. Now, athletes know their bodies unlike anybody. But even me and the health changes and some of the running and and all the things that I do now that have taken me from 370 to 185 by the 
grace of God. Even I know when my body doesn't feel right now. I actually can understand. I say, you know what? I'm going to lay off a little bit on this today. I'm not going to do this today because the last thing I want to do is get hurt. And I can understand what Durant's saying about your body talking to you. Now, I'm not trying to compare myself to Durant or anybody else on an NBA level or a college level. Just saying that as you get older, you do start to feel things from your body that gives you some clue as to slow down here or I need to be careful here or I need to take extra time stretching here or whatever. So the Warriors can offer five years for $221 million for Durant. The fifth year is where the extra money really comes in. That fifth year that nobody else can offer him gives him an extra $50.3 million. bucks. They've, there's been all this talk about a potential sign-and-trade where they sign him, take on the first year of his salary, and then trade him to a preferred destination so that they get something back from him next year if he's going to leave. Now, if he wants to go, and right now, it's Nets, Knicks, and Warriors seem to be the three teams that he's really talking about, but the Clippers are still out there. The Clippers, originally, their hope was to get Kawhi Leonard and Kevin Durant this offseason. The Knicks' hope, I think, was to get Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, and it appears like they may get neither of them because Kyrie appears to be headed to the Nets. Durant might follow him, although, and this is a weird, a lot of this information is coming from Anthony Slater's article at The Athletic, which is fantastic. You should definitely read it. It's got everything you'd ever want to know about this Durant situation, but it says that Durant's not going to go be a second behind somebody else. But I don't think, look, if he goes and Kyrie goes, Kyrie becomes the second, even if he's the first guy that signs. Kevin Durant wouldn't be the second next to Kyrie Irving. Just like LeBron James would never be the second next to Kyrie Irving. Kyrie is a second. So maybe he goes to the Nets. The Nets are doing weird things like they're going to also look at potentially bringing in DeAndre Jordan because he's a close friend of Durant's. Like, hey, we're bringing in all your friends. Come play. That's a really weird strategy that I don't know if it's going to work out or not. But Durant, because of the injury, can look at guys from the past who decided to take the money early or to take what was to stay home. And think about this. All right, July of 2014, Carmelo Anthony and Chris Bosh were free agents that year. Carmelo decides he's going to stay in New York for five years, 124. Bosh says, okay, I'm going to stay with Miami for five years, 118. So they got this fifth year of big money that no one else could offer them. And think about it. Bosch got had the blood clots, ended up having to leave, but still got that money. And Carmelo, he receded from a talent standpoint so much that he would have gotten nowhere near that level of value if he didn't already have it worked into that deal. So this is from Slater's piece. Quote, Durant understands the fragility of his profession. He once had the invincible mindset flying around as the tireless high-usage scorer on those young, ferocious Thunder teams. He led the NBA in total minutes three of his first seven seasons. But now, after everything that's happened to him, he returned after the first deal, the Jones fracture, older, more careful, and more protected. Before the foot trouble, Durant logged more than 3,000 minutes in four regular seasons. Since, he's flown substantially below that total in the past five. He's already 121st all-time in regular season minutes, 31st all-time in playoff minutes. And again, he's logged in 36,903. 
So is he going to stay with the Warriors? I don't think so. And I think that that decision was made a long time ago. I know the insistence is he doesn't know what he's going to do. And and I'm not saying he can't be talked out of it. I really felt like he was going to the Knicks. I'm still tempted to think he's going to go to the Knicks. Maybe he will go to the Nets. Barclays is a better building at this point. They have a better organizational structure around them. And they're a team that has at least seen a little bit of success. They've sniffed the playoffs. They were in the playoffs this past season. The Knicks have no history unless you want to date back to teams that didn't make the NBA Finals or the one that got thrashed when they did in the 90s. But Durant staying with the Warriors, unless he just wants to take this payday, and remember, this is a guy who took less money multiple times. The first summer he decided to re-sign with Golden State, he took $9.6 million below his max. That enabled Golden State to keep Andre Iguodala and Sean Livingston. And then the second summer he re-upped, he went $5.4 million below his max. The dodged tax dollars saved the Warriors somewhere around $20 million, which, with penalties included, they were able to offer the mid-level to DeMarcus Cousins. Speaking of DeMarcus Cousins, this has to be the funniest thing I've read all year, and I retweeted it last night from Mark Stein of the New York Times. He said that the Knicks, should they fail on landing the top-tier free agents, the Kawhis, the Kyries, the Kevin Durants, maybe even the Kemba Walkers, they're planning to throw a ton of money for a one-year deal at DeMarcus Cousins. That'll make Knicks fans happy. We're not giving you Kevin Durant, but this dude also has a first and last name and also plays basketball. His name is Boogie Cousins. He also had an Achilles injury. Hasn't really come back from it because he tore his quad. Came back and tried to play. In a couple of games the NBA Finals, he showed up. We're going to put him here. No. That's not going to make Knicks fans happy. They have to land somebody. If they don't, then that franchise just, until Dolan leaves, they're not going to get anybody. Because the fact that you wouldn't want to play for the team that's still always going to be the A team in New York, the one that... If you could bring the Knicks back from the dead, you'll never be forgotten. But no one wants to go there, and it has to be because of Dolan. And so as long as Dolan owns the team, you can just assume they're not going to get anybody half-decent because no one wants to deal with that circus. If they can't get somebody this time, I don't know when they're going to get somebody. If I had to predict it right now, I don't know if I want to say that Kevin Durant's just going to follow and be friends because him and Kyrie are tight. They're going to fist-pound together in Brooklyn. I, I don't know. I think he's going to end up in the state of New York. How about that? I know that's a little bit of a hedge. Yeah, he could stay in Golden State, but it just seems like Kevin Durant wants that fresh start. And after listening to Andre Iguodala on The Breakfast Club discuss the fact that the team didn't necessarily think he was as hurt, if he had that feeling too, he's gone. We'll be right back. This is The Big Six on 104.5 The Zone. So. have you with us on a Thursday evening here in the Music City, celebratory Music City, Vanderbilt, College World Series champions, an 8-2 win in Game 3. They had to win in Game 2, they did it. Had to win in Game 3, did it. Impressive stuff. Unbelievable stuff from Tim Corbin and the Doors. Vandy boys getting it done. I'm Jason Martin. We always get it done here. I'm on Twitter at jmartzone. You can follow me there. Talked a lot about Kevin Durant in that last last segment. I said my prediction is, and this is just a gut feeling, and maybe it changes and I tell you something different tomorrow. I think he's gone. I think he's going to New York somewhere. 
I would say probably the Nets have the best thought now. And I think James Dolan's going to prove to be the reason they still can't get free agents in New York. Even though originally it seemed like that's where he wanted to go. Now, where should he go? If he's not super sensitive and he can just deal with the fact that some people are never going to embrace him as a part of the Warriors, then he should stay there. Especially with the, as Anthony Slater put it in his article, the fragility of Durant's profession. To get that fifth year and to make that extra 50 mil, basically, that could be everything. It's a monumental decision. If you stay there, you're going to win. They can't then, because they're over the cap, if Durant leaves, they can't go get a Kawhi Leonard. They can't go get some other elite guy to replace him. It's not like, oh, we'll let him go. He's played 10,000 more minutes than everybody not named LeBron James. Go get Kawhi. Go get somebody else. They can't because of their situation. It's Durant's, it's the unique circumstances surrounding Durant that have enabled them to be able to do this and the money that he has left on the table and potentially some other loopholes and things that way, but it only works for Durant. So Golden State wants him to stay, I think. I just think that Kevin Durant's still so far in his own head, I don't know if he's going to be able to turn down, I guess, going to play with Kyrie, maybe, with the Nets. I don't know. I would stay in Golden State and guarantee that money. If I've already had a Jones fracture that it was improbable I could come back from and I've ruptured my Achilles and I'm post 30 years old with 37,000 minutes basically played in the NBA, it's not that you don't bet on yourself. It's that you've got to be smart. You can be confident, but you can also be arrogant and stupid. And I don't think Kevin Durant is stupid. Let me tell you what is stupid. Jimmy Butler to Houston. I can't even begin to describe to you what a bad idea this is. You've already got Chris Paul, who nobody seems to want to play with, and James Harden, who is incredibly difficult to play with, even for Chris Paul and vice versa. You've got two guys that don't like each other. P.J. Tucker said it doesn't matter if we win. And that's right. I've said that before. You don't have to like each other to win. We've seen that in multiple sports where guys couldn't stand each other, but they were so talented they still won. But in this case... What do we know about Jimmy Butler, other than he's a fantastic two-way player? One, we know that the Sixers know how valuable he is because he almost beat Toronto. He was the one guy you could rely on down the stretch in Game 7. Jimmy Butler is the dog of that team. And if they were to adapt his mentality more and not talk the way that Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid talked at times, I think they'd be much better off. That's what happened with Toronto. Toronto adapted Kawhi's personality and started playing differently and playing like they expected that they could win, and they did. But the other thing we know about Jimmy Butler is how he treated Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins and everything that went down in Minnesota before he was traded. He is a dude that is very outspoken. He is a polarizing figure in a locker room. He is a controversial figure in a locker room. Can you imagine... Chris Paul, James Harden, and what you're going to add to that mixture is somebody this potentially explosive and volatile. One of the reasons I didn't get to go to the University of Virginia, where I would have you know, ideally loved to go, other than being out of state and it being even harder to get in, is because my math and science scores just weren't what they should have been. And I never blew up anything in chemistry. But I'm telling you right now, if I were 15 
And my teacher basically told me to make this mixture that the Houston Rockets are trying to put together. It's not the volcano at the science fair. It's the, we've got to build a new school because ours just burned down. This is an unbelievably bad idea. I know you want to go try to get a third guy, a third superstar, maybe a third max player. That's what you've heard Rockets Brass saying over the past couple of days. They're still extremely confident. They think they should be the favorites. They probably should, but they also look like they're falling apart at the seams. The D'Antoni thing, that ain't going very well. Chris Paul and James Harden, who knows how much of what's been said is true. Maybe they didn't talk for months. Maybe they do just hate each other, but they can still win games, at least in a regular season, and they can get on the doorstep until they face Golden State of making it to the finals. Now, a lot of teams in the West are going to be better. The Jazz are going to be better if Mike Conley stays healthy. That's a franchise on the rise that I think underperformed this past season. Portland, probably going to be a little better. Sacramento could win 45 games this year. Young team. I'd love to see it for Luke Walton because I think he got a bum rap in L.A. I don't think he ever had a chance. That was just a bad situation all the way around. Denver, they're going to be better. And if they are, they might be in the finals. So Houston, yeah, they're right there in that mix. But you add Jimmy Butler to that, I know I want him on the floor, and I actually like his personality. I think you need a guy like that. But I don't think you can afford to have a guy like that on this basketball team. This Houston team, who really the only guy that I truly like on the team is P.J. Tucker, which if, look, if Grant Williams is able to become P.J. Tucker and to do that, he's got to start shooting a lot better than 30% or less than 30%. I think he shot like 29.3% did Grant Williams from college three in his career. He did get a little bit better, but that's a shot that he's got to have on the NBA level. If he can bring that up in the, uh, I don't know, 37 to 38% range, then he can become valuable. I still don't know what he's going to be able to do defensively, but he's going to do all he can on the glass for you. And what does P.J. Tucker do? He is a dog defensively. He can make that short corner three pretty effectively. But he rebounds like a madman and goes for loose balls. That is effort. P.J. Tucker has already had a better career, I think, than most people expected him to. But there are a lot of other pieces on that Rockets team that I think they probably don't like watching this Harden slash Paul experiment all that much either. So they would come and go. But the exploit, but the thoughts are they're looking at trading P.J. Tucker and Eric Gordon and maybe a draft pick to bring in Jimmy Butler, who is just going to set fire to what's already a powder keg. This dynamite explodes, and then the Rockets win 40 games, even with all that talent. Maybe Butler just comes in there and tells both Harden and Paul to shut up, and he's the adult in the room, but I doubt it. You can't add more gasoline to a fire that's already about two inches from your home. Like, if you want a bonfire, you can't basically trail the gasoline from that bonfire if you're using gas, which you probably shouldn't be. If you trail that all the way across the grass to your front door and then light it from your front door, that's going to set your house on fire. That's what this Jimmy Butler thing feels like to me. I'm much more intrigued, and we'll get into this tomorrow, what Kawhi Leonard is going to do, because that's the other biggest question. Kimball Walker looks like the Celtics might now be potentially in play. Maybe they're the suitors to get Kimball Walker at this point. I thought he might end up in L.A., so there's going to be plenty to discuss as it relates to free agency, and we'll talk some NFL tomorrow as well. But this idea to send Jimmy Butler to Houston, I mean, I kind of want to see it in the same way that I want to see the Raiders on hard knocks 
It's one of those curb your enthusiasm deals where I can only watch one episode of Larry David's show because it's so cringeworthy that after 30 minutes, I need a, a palate cleanser of like, I need to go watch a Pixar film or I need to watch the dumbest sitcom of all time because I've already been through just an emotional roller coaster of awkwardness. That's what this is. This is a disastrous thought. I can't even believe it's being speculated. The good news is I don't think it's got a chance in Hades of happening. And I mean good news if you're a Houston Rockets fan. I mean, this thing is the Jerry Springer show. Can you imagine Jimmy Butler being added to that pair of Harden and Paul at this point with all the stories that we've read since they got knocked out of the playoffs in six against a Durantless Warriors team? Whew. No. Or maybe yes for us, but no for them. One more segment to go. We'll be right back. This is the Big Six on 104.5 The Zone. segment of the program tonight big six here on 104.5 the zone we're brought to you by renters warehouse dedicated to putting homeowners on the path to financial freedom through rent estate renting your home without having to do the hard stuff renters warehouse the rent estate company i'm jason martin i'm on twitter at jmartzone you can always follow me there you can read my stuff at 1045thezone.com slash big six blog you can also go to authory.com slash Jason Martin, I believe, is the address. And you can read everything that I've ever written, as a matter of fact. Uh, basically, dating back to SB Nation, dating back to what I did for Clay Travis for several years. Yep, authory.com slash Jason Martin. Everything I've ever done. Previously, TV. You can read it all right there for free. And that's a really awesome website. I've talked about it a couple of times, but a lot of writers that are jumping on board to get all their stuff in one place. And I was able to download a file that had every article I've ever written the text in it. So I was going to have to go back and try to cut and paste and save a bunch of stuff. And it saved me to be sure. This from Adam Schefter, Kansas city chiefs wide receiver Tyree kill met with NFL investigators Wednesday for eight hours. Source says it was a very thorough interview. Hill has been banned from the team's training facility amid an investigation by the Kansas Department of Children and Families into possible child abuse, battery, or neglect. The investigation began after officers in Overland Park, Kansas, were called to Hill's home twice in March when Hill's three-year-old son suffered a broken arm. Hill, a three-time pro bowler, remains subject to a suspension under the NFL's personal conduct policy. There is currently no criminal investigation, according to Johnson County District Attorney Stephen M. Howe. Okay, so I'm conflicted here, but I'm really not. I said if Tyreek Hill did this and there is proof of it, he should never play football again, ever, because he has squandered the right now twice. This is strike two. Strike one is punching his pregnant woman in the stomach or pregnant girlfriend at the time now, the same woman he's with, in the stomach while he was at Oklahoma State and got him kicked out, abused her, choked her, she said, for over a minute at a time. That has implications of murder, ladies and gentlemen. So he left, he went to a small school, he still got drafted by the Chiefs because he's lightning quick, and he's been unbelievable in the NFL. And then this recording comes out of him saying, you need to be scared of me too, expletive, talking to his wife now. And maybe there was entrapment here. There's a complexity here. But if they're not investigating this, the part of this that bothers me is that he met with NFL investigators and so the NFL is deciding what they're going to do and if they're going to suspend him. The correct answer is this. If 
There is no investigation by the actual authorities, the legal authorities. If they are not engaged in an active investigation or if they can't prove conclusively anything, then Tyreek Hill can't be suspended. Even if I believe that he's guilty of this, he can't be suspended. The NFL is not equipped to investigate matters like this. I don't know what they talked to him about for eight hours. But when I read there is currently no criminal investigation, this was a story that came about a couple of weeks ago. It was just revealed that there's no active investigation. If there's not, then he should be able to play. Now, this part of it, banned from the team's training facility amid an investigation by the Kansas Department of Children and Families into possible child abuse, battery, or neglect. Okay, good with that. While that investigation is going on, keep him away from the facility. But if it ends up coming back, that there's nothing conclusive. If they can't prove this, as heinous as it feels to me, as heinous as it might feel to you, but if they can't prove it, then the NFL can't then suspend them. The personal conduct policy is a joke. The arbitrary nature with which it's applied, and the it just seems bumbling because it is bumbling. The NFL is not a it's not an investigative arm. It's not that it doesn't have people that can find things out. I get that. We've seen that in the past. But if he's not going to be charged in a court, then how exactly can you sell me that he shouldn't be able to play the sport? Because you deem it because of a, a personal conduct policy that sometimes you apply and sometimes you don't? Look, this is a taint, This is a place that I don't necessarily want to be. But I don't know. I felt pretty sure when I heard that audio what it said. And I still believe it, but I'm trying to figure out if it is so certain, then why in the world isn't there an active investigation into it? Is it because it's Kansas City and Johnson County District Attorney Stephen M. Howe and people there like the Kansas City Chiefs and know that Tyreek Hill gives them a chance to win a Super Bowl? I don't know. I'm not saying that's true. I'm saying that that's the kind of speculation that is out there that can be out there when things like this happen. But the NFL meeting with Tyreek Hill, they can meet with him all they want. But if they don't have proof, then you can't suspend this guy because it just doesn't make sense. It's a precedent that does not wash. There's no logic behind this. It's a little bit of a slippery slope. I still don't think the Zeke Elliott suspension was warranted. That it didn't make sense either. But this one could be far worse. I thought the Chiefs should have cut bait immediately with him when this thing came out because it felt cut and dry black and white. Articles from the Kansas City Star, cut and dry, black and white. Articles from the Washington Post, cut and dry, black and white. But no investigation? I would like to talk to somebody there and ask why there's no investigation. But if there's not, then the NFL shouldn't be running its own investigation. Let this thing go through the proper procedures. Kansas Department of Children and Families, yes, they absolutely should be looking into this. If they find something, then we've got something to talk about here. But if the authorities aren't engaged in any brand of real criminal investigation, then how in the world does Tyreek Hill not get to play? If I'm the NFLPA, I'm standing up and saying, nah, uh-uh. I don't like what this says. You couldn't prove it, so I don't think you can do this. So I guess we'll find out. But it's a troubling situation, and I don't like it because even if I did believe it 100%, and, man, I was pretty close to that, What's happened since doesn't necessarily make me think he should be suspended right now. So I'm torn. Tomorrow, 3 Eastern time, U.S. Women's National Team in France. 
in Paris, U.S. is going to get booed out of the joint. All we've heard the last two days is Megan Rapino saying bleep Trump, not going to the White House, whatever. They can say whatever they want. doesn't matter. I hope they win tomorrow. But they narrowly beat Spain, and this should be quite a experience to watch. We'll talk about it. Whatever happens, we'll talk about it on this program tomorrow night. And we will see you tomorrow night. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. God bless, and good night.